Hey everybody, you're listening to Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams, the podcast where we talk about the movies we love and the monsters we all face. I'm your host, David Anderson, and today is October 27th, 2020, A Course in Fearicles, Day 27. With me today is Kevin Larkin Anjali, a writer, a lover of all things horror, and a friend in Halloween. Hi, Kevin. Happy Halloween. Hi, David. Happy Halloween. I am so happy to speak with you today. But let me, before we get into a conversation, let me have you do something for me. I need you to describe exactly where you are and what the weather is like and what you've been up to. Because as you know, it's been in the 80s here and just in time for Halloween, it's going to creep its way back up to almost 90. So I need you to poetically describe... Um, Um, the atmosphere around you and while you do that i'm going to methodically leech all the halloween out of your soul and into mine (laughs) okay this is a well this is a willing uh let the right one in this is a willing act of vampirism we're about to go into (laughs) um but it's more like the medicinal properties of leeches right so uh, I am in I am in the Hudson Valley um, of New York, and I'm actually in my father's house where I'm living temporarily. And uh, I'm wearing layers. I've got a cable knit sweater on. I'm I've got a an Edgar Allan Poe mug filled with hot apple cider, and I have lit some candles. And uh, I've got my VHS copy of the Toby Hooper adaptation of Salem's Lot out. And um, also in the same room with me is a portrait of my uh, stepmother who passed away several years ago, who loved watching movies like Salem's Lot with me. Many people in my family kind of fed this uh, Stephen King thing when I was young. I They just gave me books and let me read and watch whatever, which was great. So getting into the Halloween spirit, yeah, October is my month. It's been gray lately. It's been a little bit too warm here too, but today it was a little bit chilly. People have been too aggressive with the leaves, getting them all rounded up. I like to walk and shuffle through them, so I tried to find some spots to, to shuffle through the leaves. And I've been, you know, trying to watch horror movies. I'm, I've not been committed to getting to watching one a night because I'm also really into reading horror. And um, so I've been kind of going back and forth between reading horror, watching horror, and working on a story of my own. That's a, a current horror story I'm working on. And then, of course, there's music, right? I'm a music obsessive, and I've been listening to autumnal music pretty much. Well, I'm not sure there is a way to do it right, but nevertheless, you are doing it right. I'm doing my damn best. <laughs> Thank you for that. I feel like full and bloated and happy like a Halloween slug after hearing you <laughs> say that. And I'm happy for you and not at all jealous because I know that you actually really appreciate it. You don't take it for granted. Give me a little bit of your origin story. Give me Kevin Begins. Tell me about your relationship with Halloween and horror as well. And I'd like to ask you what I've asked a couple other guests. Those things aren't necessarily the same. A lot of times yeah, they yeah. go hand in hand for people, but people who love one don't necessarily love the other, but you do. Was that always the case? And how do those things go together for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think my memories of horror precede my memories of Halloween. Although you know that thing where you look at a picture so many times uh, that you that you that you that you think it's an actual memory of yours, but maybe it isn't. There have been pictures I've looked at throughout my life of me as a kid in different costumes, you know, surrounded by sidewalks, the leaves falling down, like in the town I'm in now, and. Um, they are kind of around the same time. My, you know, I started off at age four. I asked my parents to rent Christine for me. We were uh, staying the night at my aunt's, and they did. 
and I loved it. I watched horror movies, watched a lot of Stephen King movies, and read Stephen King, Dean Koontz, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Edgar Allan Poe starting in fourth grade. There's a horror edge to Michael Crichton. I started getting into him in fifth grade. You know, so just reading that stuff all throughout my childhood. But the Halloween... I definitely enjoyed like being in costume. I loved costumes. I had a big bag of costumes. I would try on different characters and invent characters throughout the day, just kind of pretending throughout the year. I definitely loved like running through the streets and going up to, you know, door to door and doing trick or treat. Around Halloween, I was just thinking back on this today. There, I was in the Boy Scouts briefly, and we went to uh, like an old-fashioned storyteller once, where we it was around Halloween, and we all were like in the cellar of a you know colonial antique kind of house, and this person in costume from the time period came down the stairs and you know did some traditional scary storytelling, and I loved it, and so I really loved that element. Um, also. As a child of the 80s, you know, Freddy Krueger was an omnipresent specter, right? So I definitely watched those movies and was scared, very scared of, of Freddy. And I remember one where I, I was the Karate Kid for, for, for Halloween. And Freddy Krueger is, someone dressed as Freddy Krueger, obviously, was like on the back of the school bus and you could go on. And I was, you know, making threats about how I was going to karate chop him and do this and that to him all night. And then they, I finally like went on the bus and I have no memory, but... <laughs> I think I was sufficiently scared whatever happened next. Did you do the crane um, kick? I, I I imagine I was practicing my crane kick. Mm -hmm. That's a real Dream Warriors move, too. Is it? Yeah. You know, I know. So you told me 137 is the essential trilogy. So I haven't gotten to three yet. I'm going to have to rewatch that one. I looked up seven and I, I was like, oh, wow, it's a meta movie. I didn't I didn't realize that because I, I definitely went to the theater uh, for Freddy's Dead with the 3D glasses. I remember that. That was an event. Well, again, I highly recommend that you take the journey of 137. And I will be very curious to know what you think. Again, because those weren't high on your list, I guess. So you don't necessarily have the same relationship with them that I do. So I'd be curious how you experience them now. If they're not fresh yeah. for you. Yeah, it's been an interesting experience for me because so one thing I've kind of thought is that I've kind of thought of myself as someone who's not into slashers as like, you know, I'm much more into like ghosts, hauntings, possessions. I'm into Cronenberg's weird psychological body horror. So are those your preferred subgenres? Supernatural, yeah, supernatural yeah. and body horror. And I like sci-fi horror. Like I love Alien. I, I saw Event Horizon three times in the theater when it came out. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of genres I like. But yeah, I don't think of myself as as a slasher person. Like even with John Carpenter, I, I'm sorry. Don't please don't end the phone call. Like Halloween's not my favorite John Carpenter movie. I'm like there's a lot of other movies by him that I love. Um, so I've kind of put this to the test recently. And I a like, guy had never seen Friday the Thirteenth, and I uh, I figured I knew what the whole movie was, and I watched it for the first time last year. And I loved it. And I was shocked being that a certain iconic character wasn't really actually in it. Right. Yeah, that like totally threw me. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I, lo I loved it. I just loved like the camera angle. Like every time there was like that kind of like that kind of shaky, like stalker camera point of view. Like, I just love that. I love the setting. I love the end. Oh, my God. I was like, wow, this movie is a lot better than I thought it was. And I do revisit Halloween somewhat regularly, and I always enjoy it very much. And yeah, and so Nightmare on Elm Street was another one where I had to, like, go back and, and watch it again. So it was interesting rewatching it uh, recently. And, of course, I have your enthusiasm going. So it kind of was 
<laughs> partly um, there while I was watching it. You know how the continuity of Halloween and a couple other series, but particularly Halloween, is so screwed up at this point, and it branches off in all kinds of different directions, yeah. and you kind of choose your own adventure. What do you think about someone revisiting Friday the 13th and sort of discarding Jason and continuing to have Mrs. Voorhees as the killer and bring her back from the dead? I mean, we had <laughs> Jason come back from the dead as a zombie of sorts. Why not have yeah. zombie Mrs. Voorhees? Someone should do that, and if they don't, maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> that's a cool idea yeah i mean as much as i like mike myers i like i love halloween three i i i, I would have loved if there was a whole series that every story took place in halloween night and it's a different story i agree i still think that's a cool idea but yeah. people have a hard time getting anthologies off the ground um people just yeah, don't respond they, to them they want something familiar i guess yeah right because i mean in recent years there's been uh xx and vhs tales of halloween and I know that like on, like it's one thing to do it for Shutter, like they they brought Creep Show back and stuff, but yeah, that that makes sense. I always loved anthology films. I I loved Tales from the Dark Side, um, Creep Show Two, anything like that as a kid. I was super into, and I and even like more adult ones. Like I I liked Four Rooms a lot back in the day. I haven't watched it in a long time. So you and I have talked about, and you're kind of, you know, taking us there now. We were born and raised in a certain era, but we certainly resonate with movies from the 70s and 80s um, more so than we do with recent movies. And I want to talk about why you think that is. In some part, do you think it's because you're never going to have the same response to something as an adult that you do as a kid when something is fresh and new? Or were movies just objectively better <laughs> in the 70s and <laughs> 80s than they are now? <laughs> That's a good question. I think it's a bit of both, honestly. Yeah, I mean, obviously nothing can affect you in quite the same way as an adult as it does when you're a kid or a teenager. And you've also discussed on, on previous podcast episodes what it was like to have to get something, the environment in which something happened, renting the movie, um, being at a friend's house to sleep over, all that kind of thing. As we just mentioned, I think CGI did a lot to kind of hurt horror movies because it's just like your eye just knows that what it's seeing isn't real and it just moves the wrong way and it's not, not actually there. So you just kind of know that and so you don't respond in the same visceral level. Obviously, there have been some great horror movies lately. The Witch, It Follows, Hereditary. I know people are splitting the Babadook, but I think that one was kind of up there. I just saw movie Relic, uh, The Drive-In earlier this year, which I thought was terrific. So there's been, you know, there's been some great horror movies lately. I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't. Yeah, what, what is it about them? Maybe part of it is I think that everything is like really precious these days. Like um, there's this fetishistic pastiche quality, you know, which is like especially clear, like in a J.J. May Abrams movie, maybe where it's just like there's such a reverence for the same material that I'm talking about, you know, the same touch points, the 70s and 80s movies that it's like maybe not going far enough to be its own thing or try something new. I'm wondering, too, if VHS kind of contributed to what we're mm -hmm. talking about. Yeah. The market was kind of flooded with these inexpensive, easy-to-make horror films to sort of meet the demand for a product that people had when the home video market originated. So before that, I kind of feel like horror was more respected as a genre and an art form. And in the 70s, especially, we had kind of auteur directors like Roman Polanski yeah. and William Friedkin and... Yeah. Um, De Palma, Kubrick. Horror kind of became associated with trash, I think, more so in the 80s. Yeah. And I say that affectionately because yeah. I'll take it all. Yeah, Right. Trash is not a pejorative, in my opinion, yeah. but I think there was some respect for the genre that was lost. And now it's kind of coming back around because yeah. there are so many outlets and platforms that we do have, um, you know, in Eggers working in the genre. So it's sort of getting a little bit of its prestige back. What do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think horror has always been a bit of a dirty word. It's definitely always been like the secret backbone of Hollywood. They make a lot of money. You know, they're like you said, they're inexpensive, but they are like always turn a good profit generally. You know, then you have the, the there's the staggering examples like the Blair Witch Project. Uh, and, you know, Halloween was another example of just, you know, low budget making tons of money. But yeah, I think maybe there was some prestige bestowed upon it from that auteur period you mentioned that kind of happened 80s, 90s. I, but definitely it's coming back around again because there's just a generation of, of creators who've grown up who love that stuff like us you know who grew up on it and recognize the aesthetic uh, qualities that it has you know we're not just inheriting the common opinion that that horror is necessarily trash or can't be um, of the same level of, of quality or consideration of a, a drama or a western or a romance or whatever what kills me one of the things that kills me is I think we're lucky to have these amazing, beautiful, challenging films like Midsommar and Hereditary, mm -hmm. but they're marketed to kind of a mainstream horror audience. Yeah. And that audience shows up and they don't know how to process what they're yeah. seeing. Yeah. They're not there for it. They're not <laughs> there for it. And I feel like at least once a week, just sort of combing through things, I stumble upon a discussion where someone brings up usually hereditary and people are slapping back against it. Like not only was this movie not scary, it was stupid or other non-criticisms or it was boring yeah. or it was laughably bad. And I'm like, are you dead inside? Like what would it take? <laughs> yeah, right. What would it take to get a response from you? Period. <laughs> But also, like, what are you really wanting when you go see right. a quote-unquote horror movie? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I know, because there's plenty of those other horror movies still being made that I'm I'm not particularly interested. Like, when I go see one of those movies, I have to sit through, like, 10 trailers, movies I don't really want to see. Well, you mentioned the challenge of a follow-up film when someone has kind of knocked it out of yes. the park. So that's not necessarily the same as a sequel, but let's talk about sequels, especially yeah. because arguably in the 80s and especially into the 90s, I think even in Scream 2, one of the characters says, sequels ruin the horror genre what do you think about sequels and what is on your list of kind of a rare satisfying sequel or sequel that manages to follow up um, an original in a compelling way that sort of justifies its existence and maybe even outdoes the original i guess that does happen sometimes so if i was going to play it safe i would start with dawn of the dead i know that there are people who like dawn of the dead more than night of the living dead i'm not one of them but i do love the dawn of the i think dawn of the dead's great and i think uh it was a good continuation of of Romero's zombie series. I remember liking Hellraiser 2 Hellbound, but I haven't watched it probably since I was a teenager. I think the rest of the Hellraiser sequels are abysmal. I, I don't think I made it past the fourth or fifth, maybe the fourth. Usually when they go to space, I'm done. Well, I had a question for you, which is, are there movies, are there horror movies that you loved the first time you saw them and then they just lost their magic the second and third or fourth time you watched them? I think that's definitely happened. And I think a lot of that is owed to the theatrical experience versus the home experience. Yeah. There really is something about watching a movie on a big screen sure. um, in a communal setting mm -hmm. um, the first time and things mm -hmm. don't play as well at home. Movies that I've really responded to originally when I've rewatched them at home I don't have the same response and I think that's a big part of the reason like I went to see Invisible Man this is the most recent example oh, yeah. I can think of that was one of the last movies I saw um, right before everything closed down and I loved it I thought it was really fun really smart kind of you know a fun roller coaster ride which it is and I rewatched it two nights ago at home and I kind of knew what I was in for but still on the small screen without the sound design really allowed to kind of stretch and all that it just wasn't the same so yeah. I think a lot of it is colored by one's initial experience and kind of the conditions yeah. of that and not necessarily the quality of the movie itself. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, it would be The Descent, which I, which I saw at home the first time and I loved it. 
I absolutely love The Descent. But then every time I try to watch it afterwards, it just I guess a lot of it was built into the, the surprise element or something. I was going to ask you about, well, you're a father uh-huh. um, and your kids are still very young, right? Yeah. So the material that they've been exposed to is probably <laughs> minimal at this point. It is, But yeah. I'm curious to know what it has been like or how you intend to share things that are special to you with your kids to see if they have any kind of affinity for it whatsoever. And to also kind of see how they experience and process things like we talked about with things being so accessible. There's no like contraband anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to try hard to find someone who has a copy of a copy of The Exorcist or yeah, something. exactly. So I'm just wondering what it will be like seeing them experience things horror or anything else um through through that lens you know each child is different and they have their different um you know tolerance levels for scary right and it actually changes depending what age they are like they might seem like they can that there's like no big deal to them at a certain age and then the next year they're like more vulnerable or susceptible to it you know and i ask them to really tell me if anything's scaring them and you know we can we can turn it off or i can talk them through it or whatever uh at home i had this study and it was just filled with horror things Right. And I had all these DVDs. Most of my DVD collection is horror, even though I do love other things. And, you know, I've got period pieces and romances and comedies and whatever. They and they they really just like love going through my DVD collection and asking me questions about them. And, and that's been like w- just a big thing that we connect on. And, and I kind of keep some Halloweenish stuff up all year round. And doing some research about it, it seemed like age seven was about the right age uh, to, to possibly introduce some stuff. So I did introduce a couple things before age seven with like my oldest son, but we didn't watch the whole movie. I like I, I would give him a taste of it and see how it goes, you know, and it was kind of okay this is too much and we would turn it off like uh one of them was creep show uh one of them was um the last man on earth one of them was night of the living dead i thought black and white let's just see how it goes but it was kind of contraband because uh i was i was supposed to wait <laughs> until he was seven but I, I he was he was he was begging me to watch these things and you know i love this stuff so i just wanted to to see what to see where it goes and i and i started at age four like i said so but you know like your last guest mentioned hocus pocus being harmless my kids watched hocus pocus last night and uh, i wasn't there but um i i heard that he was absolutely terrified afterwards like crying terrified well halloween is clearly going to look different this year oh. what is your i'm sorry <laughs> to want to i don't want to poke the wound but we're going to get through this together <laughs> what yes, what is the big day going to look like for you ah oh, good questions. So we have a unique challenge right now in that um, I am living in one county. My children and their mother are living in a different county. There are different uh, numbers of new cases of COVID every day in these different counties. My county, the county I'm living in right now, has significantly higher uh, number of new cases every day. So and people are, you know, there are definitely towns in the area that are just kind of canceling and calling off trick-or-treating or heavily discouraging it. It doesn't seem to be as discouraged where I'm living right now. So what we're looking at doing is doing like all of Halloween in a day at home, having a friend over, wearing costumes, carving a jack-o'-lantern, bobbing for apples. We, you know, we already have like a ghost tree in the front yard and a graveyard that we made that was in the front yard. We have tall grass. We were thinking about like pretending to be zombies walking through the tall grass and they could shoot Nerf guns at us. You know, setting up different stations to go get candy at, maybe doing a little spooky storytelling. And I want to do that old thing where you like reach your hand in the bag and there's, you know, this is the brain and this is the eyeballs of the witch, that kind of thing. 
I want to do some old school stuff like that. Like they've never bobbed for apples. They see it in stories. They see it in the Charlie Brown, Great Pumpkin stuff, which we love to, to read and, and watch. And so I'm going to try to just, uh, you know, do all of that stuff like all in one day. They've already carved jack-o'-lanterns, but we'll carve new ones. I'm waiting till Halloween day to carve my jack-o'-lantern, do all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm going to invite myself to your Halloween celebration because this sounds amazing. <laughs> and going into it, I don't know, in some ways, does it feel like this is a compromise? But the more I listen to you speak, I feel like we're all kind of looking for ways to celebrate Halloween because we felt like it had been taken away from us a little bit. So in yeah, some ways, yeah. we might be doing more. That's true. Overcompensating. Yeah. Sir. No, 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 no. Compensating <laughs> just the right amount. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. But we might be doing more and let's say better than we might normally because we're wanting to really honor it and make sure that we get to have that experience. So it's not just yeah. going to come and go. So, And I guarantee you that this is the Halloween your kids will remember and all the others will probably blur together. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I, ho- I hope that's that's true. But like it's this, it's this whole thing of like the season of the year and the sowing season and the pumpkins and cinnamon and dried corn and just all of this kind of stuff that just just feels so good and folksy. I love the way you speak about Halloween and what you just said certainly resonates with me. And arguably, I have a different definition of things that are considered cozy and homey and comforting than some people because, you know, mm-hmm. pumpkin spice and corn stalks like you just described, but also skeletons and monsters and the uh, and the undead are very comforting Absolutely. to me <laughs> and feel like home. And there is something yeah. there is something very, like you said, folksy and there's a warmth to Halloween. Yeah that I don't think a lot of people lean into. And it's about community. Yes, exactly. A lot more so than other holidays, which are more so about kind of contained family units. So I think there's a lot of beauty in it that a lot of people don't acknowledge. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I'm going to make a deal with you. You and I both, aside from like, you know, mourning the loss of the season, we also put a lot of pressure on the day in October in general, and we feel like we're not doing enough to enjoy it. Right. I'm going to say for both of us that that's not true. Mm -hmm. And that also we're going to consider Halloween on Saturday a beginning and not an ending. How about that? Yes. Yes. That's good. Yeah. I've already got plans for like, uh, like I'm rereading Salem's Lot to talk about with some people. I said, let's do it in November. You know, I kind of pushed it back. And that way I will start reading it, you know, like maybe like after Halloween. That it's not like, okay, Halloween's over. Time to pack up all my horror. And it's the beginning. We can keep it going. Yes. So let's both agree to do that. I agree. So we have to support each other. (laughs) Yes, we will do that. I so appreciate the support that you've provided up until now. You've sent a lot of really encouraging and thoughtful and kind messages in response to what I've been doing that I really, really appreciate. And it's been such a pleasure to get to know you and to talk to you about things that we we love and i know that that will continue so i will look forward to that as well yeah me as well thank you so much david thanks for having me on the show please have a happy happy halloween i know you will you too thank you bye bye this show is an unreliable narrator production for more information visit unreliablenarrator.org <laughs>